Welcome to Inviting Doom, a podcast about faith, bad theology, and stepping into ideas marked as dangerous for the soul. I'm Sarah, one of your hosts. And I'm Krista. We'd love you to join us as we unlearn old beliefs, navigate current issues, and explore the previously unexplored religious frameworks in our lives. since we've podcasted yeah it's, it's, it's gonna be a little crunchy again <laughs> yeah well welcome back <laughs> welcome back listeners that we don't have yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you were very brave and you just literally did your first blog post yeah. on kind of in a sense how uh in like coming out of the church and and deconstruction which are very hot topics among evangelicals uh, prominent evangelicals today. I think there was the skillet forerunner guy who was like, Oh, we have to make war against people deconstructing and whatever. Um, because deconstruction has now that word has now, even though people have been using it for a long time outside and the church maybe hasn't been aware of it, but people are now inside the church, recognizing it as sort of this threat. And so you've essentially, (laughs) you've essentially posted a blog, a blog post that is like, Hey, I'm I'm deconstructing, (laughs) um, using the bomb word that nobody, nobody I, I hate how they, um, well, and obviously not, not all churches and not all churchgoers subscribe to that belief, but it's definitely a trend in, in the church as an institution that deconstruction is this like, blasphemy and um, idolatry and stuff and my position is a lot different I think that we can look at it empathetically towards individuals and say you know we've always promoted people to have a a personal faith in God yeah personal relationship with Jesus and I don't know how you can do that if you don't personally wrestle with your Mm -hmm. faith so well, you had, interestingly, you had said it is impossible to have, like I, when I read your thing, I was making little notes and stuff. And you had said, yeah. it's impossible to have a personal relationship with Christ without wrestling with your individual faith. The other option is simply conformity. And then I was laughing so hard because you quoted the children's song that we all grew up singing. <laughs> I don't want to be a sheep. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah. Well, and what's so funny is I had my husband, um, <laughs> proof it like I had him read through it and proof it a little bit even though I have grammarly it's just like it's different when a person reads it than just the thing and he he didn't grow up in the church like I did so he's like I don't understand this sentence I don't want to be like and I was like people who are reading this who are in the church will know exactly what that is like (laughs) yeah which is a hilarious thing because you're like talking about you're you're getting all kids to memorize and sing the same songs about not conforming. Okay, everyone learn these songs. Everyone sing at the same time. I don't want to be a sheep. You're like, that's exactly what you're doing. You're literally like conforming. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, like that is how we learn everything in life. You know, we get a demonstration from our parents and we mimic it. And it's like, 
imitation is the very first thing that we do before we can start innovating and thinking for ourselves. So yeah. like, yeah, I get it. But I just wanted the irony to be there. And <laughs> he was like, maybe you should italicize this because I think that there are, there are other groups of people who won't know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> so, but, but actually, no, because I think what maybe if you're similar to me, it's like, you know, who you're writing for, you're not writing for people who are not believers and people who are not Christians. You're writing for people who are people who are believers. So in a way you always feel like you're trying to, you're trying to explain why you're deconstructing to the people that, you know, won't approve of it. And because it's or to the people who are also going through it. And yeah, or also going through it. This is the um the people that you're you came out of, and it's how you're trying to make yeah. sense of your faith. And it's also, you know, how you're trying to find your new path forward and be a help to other people that are similar to you, like you're right. Yeah. You. Well, and it was really interesting to me after I posted this blog. I got quite a few comments on Facebook. Um, I was going to ask you, yeah. And I got a lot of private messages, which I thought was interesting. interesting. You know, it's like there are people who are okay with posting publicly and um, on my page. Very few people posted on my Instagram because I shared it to both of them. Yeah. Um, most people who commented, commented on Facebook and then everybody else basically private messaged me. I could kind of see where people were in their faith based on where they messaged me. (laughs) Either they're still very secure in the church and that's great. Or they're further along in their journey out of the church. Those Mm -hmm. are the people that could comment on my Facebook. And then there were the people who were a little bit insecure in their journey still who Mm -hmm. messaged me privately. Yeah. It was actually a really rewarding process and it took a long time like I've done this blog I don't know six different times in different years of my life and finally just had done this one recently and it's the same it's the same blog in different versions yeah yeah and I was just like I just gotta post this and I had a lot of anxiety about it even though I've been kind of out of the church for a while you know, it's like, I'm still connected to a lot of churchgoers. I still believe in God. I still have that, um, that drive to, to do things right, to be righteous. And like, there's so much black and white in the church. And I always grew up with like in the gray areas where you actually see gray areas in your faith, choose righteousness or choose right or perfection or whatever you can, you know? So something like this, it's like, I don't know how to navigate being honest about my journey or about what I'm struggling with without actually being negative towards the church or towards leaders or like uh, individuals you mean yeah well and it's not I wasn't trying to point fingers at individuals um and if you read it you can see that I really try to show the difference between the institution and people because I think we can all look at an individual and say I have grace for that person even if I see flaws or even if I disagree you can see them in the context of who they are, like the whole person. It's harder to do that with an institution where you can see abuse and toxic behaviors because there are so many individuals behind it making decisions or it's a lot more abstract where mm-hmm. it's like, well, there, there are these policies or there are these messages being mm-hmm. put out or 
the tone feels off or I don't feel at home there and I don't know why, you know, it's, it's just a lot harder to parse. Going back to what you actually said in your blog, you said, I found myself more and more disappointed and dumbfounded by the church, not the individual people that make up the body of the church per se, um, but the church as an institution, the practices. And that's what I wanted to ask you about is like, which you've just articulated that it's very actually difficult to do when you know that the church, big C church, as you called it, the institution is run by the individuals. And those policies are made by the individuals. It's yeah. not like, like, yes, I know institutions replicate themselves. And I know that uh, institutions in somewhat have, they have an identity in a, in a way of their own yeah. um, that through inactivity or inaction or compliance or whatever, individuals perpetuate the system. Like if you look yes. at colonialism or racism or yes. things, there are, there are individuals that exist in a system, ourselves included, where you and I often undoubtedly contribute to colonialism or racism or different things because the system and the structure is set up and we're just not aware of the actual impacts on those on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's like a, yes, I, I tend to want to give grace as well for individuals because when I look at, I was lucky and probably from what I've gathered from you as well, you were lucky to actually have a good church that had really lovely people in it. You know, sometimes people like the Mars Hill church or whatever that you read about, it was actual from the top down, hardcore toxicity and horrificness. Um, Our pastors were lovely and our, you know, the elders were nice people and potlucks and there were, you know, they would come over and help you move stuff out of your house. And, and I think that that makes it, really difficult to separate between when you're going to church and you're like many things coming out of this church being directed outwards don't sit right with me but on it when if I have tea with an individual person this this is a nice loving person and I yeah I I have more thoughts on this but like talk me through how you in your mind are trying to separate these two or one of the things that really helped me is realizing that it's not binary you know it's not either or and that every individual has the capacity to have some some good and some good moments that they're not great and when it comes to church policy and actions and structures and stuff a lot of times those are uh, put together by like a board yeah and then the way things kind of act out and everything, it, it's almost like a, a machine that gains momentum and it's not really one individual per se, but there's a collective that's kind of behind it. Um, and so, yeah, you can have tea with uh, the pastor and think this person is mostly good. Like mm-hmm. I can see how people follow them and listen to them and yet have a really hard time with some of the decisions that have been made under their leadership. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I worked in the church, I always had so much grace for them. Cause it's like, well, you believe in like the benefit of the doubt and they're in a hard spot and they've got to make a decision on this case, but it also has to almost set a precedent for for further things that might look the same. So, you know, if they fire this person because they're gay, 
then they might need to fire the next person who comes on staff and they find out they're homosexual. You know, like there's like a path dependence thing there where they're setting a standard. Yeah. And um, I, so I always had like a harder time because I felt like they weren't ever just making decisions on a scenario or a specific situation. It was almost like they're always looking ahead. And I can appreciate that from a leadership perspective. Like if you're running a business, you know, you yeah. need to your vision and mission in mind and whatnot. But when it comes to the church, you know, our business, our business, our vision and mission come down to loving people and loving people well. You know, like Jesus came to love, not to judge and to sacrifice his life for love. And we're supposed to be known for our love. And um, yeah, I guess all that to say, I found it really hard initially to parse between the two because I would see toxic things happening in broad strokes. Um but having grace for the individuals who kind of are behind it. And I do believe that kind of everything rises and falls on leadership. So at at some level, you have to look at your leaders and say, these things are happening and somebody, some individual needs to take responsibility and accountability for it. And I can't quite necessarily always point my finger and find the certain one. And sometimes you can, you know, sometimes you can, (laughs) but that's kind of where in the blog, I talk about how I ended up feeling complicit by being mm-hmm. there in yeah. some of the bad behavior or the, the actions I didn't agree with, even though I personally wasn't making those decisions by simply attending the place that those things were taking place, even though other great things were happening at that place as well. Like my church gave to the poor, they had a food bank. We had, you know, people donate to um, get a lady a new car who had, didn't have a car. You know, there's so many good things that were also taking place. But after a while, it's just like, well, how long can I ignore the fact that we have one woman in leadership yeah. and they pay her half as much as what they paid their, the other guys and her ministry is the biggest. Yeah. You know, so it's like things just started bothering me mm-hmm. and I no longer could just be like, oh, well, the pastor is a nice guy and I can see that he's trying his best. Yeah. Because I, I, you got to stand for something, you know, I think that that like there's a couple of really good points in there. And I think if we go back to a couple of things like and you know where I stand on this, I kind of don't view the church as a, a real entity like the church has never, in my opinion, been one thing. It's always been multiple churches with multiple views of reality and what yes. God wants. Yes. And so I think there's a, a thing that we want to think that there is a universal church that throughout time and history from when Jesus was on earth to the present there's just been one God moving one church. But I think the reality is like what you're talking about is like the ethics and you go in and, you know, you see, and you start to realize that actually the church is far more relative. Like there are probably, and your private messages coming into your own thing, the people attend church, like as a, like a building, Mm -hmm. but they actually have very different interpretations on scripture and, and the kind of God that they're serving. So like in your mind, you're thinking, well, your impression from all of your life in ministry and all of your, of what you took out of the Bible was that Jesus was here to love. And so when you're not seeing loving results coming out Mm -hmm. of the church, that ethically was like starting to really 
be problematic for you. Um, There are also verses where Jesus talks about the ax is at the foot of the tree. Jesus did judge where he talks about separating the goats from the sheep. Where like, like, so people also could read Jesus and say, yeah, he was loving, but his love was limited and he did have judgment coming. And the book of revelation where he comes back with a sword in his mouth, um, Mm -hmm. to like essentially lay waste to lay waste to the unbelievers and everybody at the end. So I think that that's the point is that, you know, you and I had talked about last week, not in a podcast, but just to each other about there not being that space to recognize mm-hmm. that maybe we're taking and reading different things into scripture. Um, it's just, everyone keeps repeating the same thing. Oh, we all believe the same God and we are the church and we are this. And it's like, actually, I'm very certain that you have a different vision for society and a mm-hmm. different vision of God and a different vision of what uh, even love and righteousness is. Like I know Christians who, think that love means tough love and that the reason you don't include LGBTQ people in your thing is because you have to like tough love them into conformity with the quote unquote right way. And that's loving because that means their soul will go to heaven and not loving them in that way means that they'll burn for eternity in hell. Right. So like, it's like how you frame love even is problematic because yeah. Anyway, just framing, even how we frame God and how we read scripture and how we, um, view what a loving thing is like, sort of spare the rod, spoil the child kind of yeah. thing. Like people used to hit their kids before understanding like the psychology of child development and whatever, like yeah. just beat your kid into submission because then they'll like function as a conforming good adult. And now we're like, that is really destructive. Yeah. <laughs> unsafe for children to have any space to grow or learn or question because they just know they're going to get a stick if they don't do the right thing or the thing. So, so, but they're like just these different takes. Um, And then you go into a church and you start to realize that maybe the people sitting next to you actually have very different beliefs than you about God and, and, and reality. And then your other point, I think was a really good one about just the existence, like starting to recognize the existence of a spectrum versus binaryism, right? Where where you go, oh my gosh, yes, you can. All of us are very good at compartmentalizing. We -hmm. can all try and give to the poor or do something in this area or, you know, try and individually be better. And then we can go out and we can like, we buy all plastic and it all goes into the ocean or we all like, like we're really good at separating who we are. Like we kind of self-preserve like Mm -hmm. our ego kind of self-preserves where we're just like, like I'm being a good person in the best way that I know how. And sometimes we're a little bit disconnected from the actual uh, effect of our actions and our beliefs. So you have really good people that will like help you build your house or like I said, bring you a casserole or do whatever, but they also believe that God will send most of the population to burn for hell for eternity for simply not conforming to exactly what he wants. And you're like, how is that loving? (laughs) How is that? And and you can hold those two as humans because we're complicated. Mm -hmm. We can hold those two together in our little brains and not see a conflict there. Well, and I think some of the thing too is, um, you know, I would love to see a church that gives people room and space to wrestle with their individual faith 
And so that means that I would also have to look at an individual like that and say, if that's what you believe right now, and you're working through that, I want to accept you wherever you're at in your journey. You know, like if you believe that God is loving and, and will send some people to burn in hell, I'm not here to control how you believe, you know, like I would love to sit down with you and ask you some questions. Like, how does that, how do you reconcile that with a loving God and things like that? But you, you almost have to lead what you want. You know, you have to act out that, you know, I want to have a space to question things that have been prescribed to me. And therefore I also need to leave space for you, even though I might firmly disagree with what you are believing right now. Um, but yeah, also leaving room for, for their journey too. And, and maybe that's why it's been really hard for the church to do that because being homogenous is so much easier than having friction. And again, you could go back to scripture and say, well, iron sharpens iron. And it's yeah, not or a pretty thing. Like the, you know, in Paul's letters, you could be like, well, you know, there shouldn't be divisions among you and there shouldn't be. So it, this is why it's a funny thing is like, you, yeah. you can go into scripture at any point and pluck two yeah. verses out. Or your bias. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I grew up in a very yeah. non-conflict home um, where yeah. it was definitely like a value was non-confrontation and non-conflict. Peace mm-hmm. was peace was not like the absence of injustice. Peace was kind of like the absence of any sort of verbal contradiction or conflict. And I think those are different things. And I think uh, a lot of people think peace is just no um, challenge to the status quo. Like the status quo is peace as long as nobody's fighting. And as long as that's peace, well, actually peace is when there's justice and justice is always going to be full of conflict. And so there's a, there's a price to peace for sure. Yeah. Like justice itself your ideas have to clash your who has to always be challenged. Like it's yeah. yeah. Well, and like just an example for that, like if I went into an old church that I used to be a part of and said, um, we're only going to attend here if you put equity, gender equity Mm. in your leadership, there would be some clashes. Yeah. If that (laughs) were to happen, I think that there might be a lot more peace. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know, so like, that's just an example. I, I hate to cut this short. <laughs> um, let's uh, carry this on in a part two. Yeah, definitely. And we'll make it a longer part two, because there's a lot to still dive into. Yeah. Here. Um, thanks right. Bye. So welcome to part two. <laughs> yeah, welcome to part two. We are going to talk about um, what we were talking about last time. And that is church essentially not really being a safe split, uh, safe space. And this was in relation to Krista's blog that she had posted very bravely up on Facebook for all to see where yeah. always laughing about it because like, I'm, I have to get everything perfect behind the scenes before I present anything. So it, it could be never presented. I could probably die. And most of my work would just be sitting on my computer and it's not perfect. So therefore nobody will see it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so we're sort of laughing because Krista's bold, uh, her bold jump into posting something for everybody on her thoughts on the church and church not being a safe space to talk about beliefs and talk about transitions and talk about uh, growth and and challenging old ideas. Um, So, yeah, Krista, I still very much admire you. We're very similar in our perfectionism and you could just launch out there and just say what you wanted to say. So, well, yeah, it took, took many years, honestly. And like, I think that even in our perfectionism, we have spheres where we're okay with being beginners are not as perfect but church is one of those areas that feels a lot more high stakes yeah because a lot of your identity is wrapped up in it a lot of your community is wrapped up in that and we always want to like in the church world you want to hold people accountable and if you can't see my finger quotes I'm doing finger <laughs> quotes there because that always ends up being a really dicey thing of when you do question or present a different thought process um biblically anyways in church spaces a lot of people will come alongside you to uh, correct you and Mm -hmm. if you don't um if you don't want to believe the way they believe or if you don't think that you align yourself with that thought in the way they've interpreted scripture it can become very high stakes where then they bring you to the elders and they have, you know, consequences for you of like, well, if you are going to believe this way, we can't be friends or, you know, however it ends up going down. And um, I think that that's really, really hurtful and is actually really tragic. Yeah. Really a lot of times in, um, in my life, not just with me, a lot of times I witness other friends were so good in the church at shooting our wounded and that's usually what happens in these scenarios where somebody has gotten hurt because life can be hurtful and life circumstances and tragic moments always make us question our faith like why didn't God show up in this way for me or why didn't he answer my prayer and it ends up making us investigate our faith which we would both probably argue is a good thing to investigate our faith and figure out what we truly believe and have a personal relationship with God. But if it doesn't align the way your social structure thinks you should believe, then you end up in a really precarious spot at a very difficult time in your life. So anyway, that's a lot of where my blog came from. And um, I probably am in a safer space now to post it because I, I don't work in the church anymore. So my, my livelihood and my wage isn't attached to that. And I think that I'll, that's a huge thing. Yeah. I'm going to post another blog. I need to write that one. It's, it's difficult to write um, and get all my thoughts on that. But I think there could be a lot to be said about people who are professional Christians. Yeah. But anyway, for me, not being a a worker in the church was a huge deal to give me the freedom to say what I want to say. But then it also took me, you know, I haven't worked in the church since 2015 and it's now 2022. So I've had years of being free from that as a position Yeah. um, to kind of think on stuff and um, also get some education and space. 
and it still felt like a really big deal to post. So like, it's, mm-hmm. it's very funny. I think that people need to weigh that for themselves because I got a lot of private messages yeah. of people who weren't brave enough to say their own truth. And mm-hmm. um, so it just goes to show you that there's this strong force where people want to think and they want to question and they want to have their own faith. And um, they don't feel that ability to even say what they want to say, you know, unless it's a good message. Anyway, that was a long, long. No, (laughs) I think the interesting thing is that like, but just before we started recording, you were talking about being a mom and you're like, I like, I was surrounded by women who, you know, made mom like mothering look so easy. And I'm like, am I doing it wrong? Cause this is really hard and whatever. It's funny because, so you're talking to me, but I have, other friends who have recently had babies and a sister-in-law who has had a baby and whatever. And the funny thing is, is like, I've never heard anyone tell me personally that it's been easy. Everyone is like severely struggling. Everyone is like, this is the worst everyone, (laughs) you know? And so I think it's a similar thing, like motherhood and, and attending church, there's this standard and it's almost like valorized in a way of like the Christian life or motherhood, or there's this rosy aura around it. That's supposed to be easy. And especially, well, it's supposed to be easy and it's supposed to be, it's supposed to come sort of quote unquote, naturally, as you align yourself with that sort of role. Um, And in the reality is just everyone's secretly struggling, and nobody's talking about it. And so it's a fake, people are presenting a lot of the times fakely um, to, to keep that aura in place and to keep that rosiness intact, intact. And especially with church, I think, I think the big thing that people don't want to talk about is the fact that I guess God isn't clear and God isn't always there and God isn't always loud and, or the soft voice that you hear if you just listen. Um, And so you have all these things that go on in life and you have all of this happening um, and all you're told from the pulpit is God is always there. He'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you. He can hear you all the time. You can hear him. If you listen, if you're obedient, it'll come through. He'll always guide you. He'll always do this. It's, it's kind of you, you are the problem. If, if, you don't hear him if you're not faithful, if you're not this, this is what gets in the way of him being active and clear and concise in your life. And the reality is, is that that therefore is supposed to be easy as long as you do the right things and you're praying enough and you're memorized your Bible and you love God and you're worshiping and you're doing all this stuff, his guidance and his sort of message to you and his presence in your life should be super clear all the time and easy. The Christian faith is supposed to be on the one hand, easy because God's guiding you, you know, my, you know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light kind of a thing. Right. So we're told that. And then the other hand, it's actually incredibly difficult. Um, and I, and, and yet there's no real space to talk about the difficulty because of the framing is, is that it's you that's done something wrong because Jesus himself has said, he'll, you know, he'll never leave you and that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So if that is the case, then it's obviously you that have messed up. And so that's a very difficult thing to try and discuss your difficulties when 
structurally, the framework is already pointing the finger at you that you're the problem. It's not God. It's never God. Like God is never the problem, or I should say the structure of God. So obviously loads of different religions and loads of different denominations, uh, Catholics, Episcopalians, Baptists, uh, Methodists, nobody has that same version or interpretation of God. So the version of God in evangelicalism um, he's never wrong. Like that structure of God is never wrong. Mm -hmm. It's always you, you know, there's something with you because God's word never changes. God never changes. Um, therefore, if there's a problem with the system, it's not God and it's not, um, you know, it's not scripture. It's yeah, you. So the only thing left. Yeah. Is you. Yeah. Is you. And so yeah. then there's guilt as well, because you're, especially you and I both being perfectionists, you try really hard, yeah. um, which, which you're not supposed to try because like your faith is by like, not by works, you know, your faith is by trusting God. Your faith should come in a sense with you working as hard as you possibly can, but it's not supposed to be about deeds and it's not supposed to be about effort. It's supposed to come super easy. So you're like, okay, well, how do I simultaneously give everything in my absolute soul in my life? Like, you know, every single part of me, uh, heart, spirit, soul, mind, strength, my whole body, everything's given to God. Mm -hmm. How do I do that, but also not make it about my human effort and my attempts and my, how do I make it about just being submissive to God and working really, really hard at that? But it's, but it's not me. I'm not working at it. I I'm not trying to save myself. I'm not trying to work by my own faith. And so it's like how you, you, you literally in a position that you can't win. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that we, we do think that some things are supposed to be easy, but we also simultaneously think that some things should be hard. You know, we, the scripture talks about being good and, you know, there are plenty of stories of different, um, like heroes of the faith having mm. a hard time and God coming to minister to them in different ways. And we're okay with that, but I think it's specifically different, difficult for women and just women in general, because yeah. the Bible can be really, I don't know, difficult to interpret and um, really hard on women in some ways. And then you mm. kind of have to read between the lines to to see that maybe God was also for women. <laughs> but um, like when you think about like Proverbs 31 woman and um, burying children as a blessing and all that. And then the church world and evangelicalism on top of it, it becomes a kind of this um, pedestal that you have to maintain almost maintain. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I posted some things just on my account, just about parenting and in this season, and it's really hard to not complain because it is just really hard. Um, but I tried to do a post that wasn't super down, mm. I guess, but I was also trying to be honest, which can be hard when you want to be positive. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I just kind of said, you know, this has been hard on me, but you know, it's, it's a good phase and I pray for her all the time. And I had some women reply and, mm -hmm. you know, I always get a mixed bag because I have mm -hmm. a variety of friends. I have a yeah. lot of friends from the church world that I have grown and ministered with. And then I have friends who I went to university with and anyway, so it's a mixed bag, but I had, um, a lot of the church ladies reply like, yeah, prayer is great. And you know, we were always encouraged to just embrace the season that God has placed before you. And I don't know, I just made me pause a bit because of course we have to embrace the season or we mm -hmm. have to face what we're going through. 
and even like Eckhart Tolle, if you're into more that vibe than religious vibes, you know, being present and um, taking the present moment for what mm-hmm. it is and not being ahead of yourself. I understand there's value in that, but it feels more like a, a criticism when it comes from a religious friend. Yeah. Sense. You know, it's not like, hey, I want to encourage you to be present and, and not be anxious about the future or whatever. It's more like, mm, you be a bit more happy. Future. Yeah. And that could just be me, you know, that couldn't be, perhaps that's not their intention. Perhaps they, they really are trying to encourage you, but there's something about the evangelical space and church where you never feel like, well, I, maybe I shouldn't put this on other people. I didn't feel like I was good enough and I was always doing something wrong. And even if I was honest about what I was struggling with, it was because I wasn't trusting the Lord or I wasn't doing something right, or I'm not embracing the season that God has put before me or, 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 you know, dot, dot, dot. It goes back to what I blogged about and what we've talked about. It's like, it doesn't end up being a safe space where you can be truly yourself. You know, it ends up being, you end up being in a space where you always have to show a varnished version of yourself to be accepted or to not be sidelined by your community and um i think it's just really sad you know and the messages i get from other women who aren't in the church are so much more supportive i know and i talk about that in the blog too or just like if we're surrounded with godly people why are the outcomes so ungodly and why can we have such healthy relationships with people who aren't in the church and we're supposed to be known for our love and I think yeah. that that's a challenge for the church today um, to be able to actually show up with who you are and with your thoughts and not be like pushed out of your circle and excommunicated because mm. you dare to think or you dare to have a hard time and be vocal about it and not be this toxic positivity. And well, and I think part, I think a lot of it is bullshit to be honest because I think people who would like to really quickly like I think there's there's a level of um, genuine conversation and discomfort that uh, church culture is is uncomfortable with. I think there are certain things we don't like to stray too far off the path in any one direction. Mm-hmm. It's just like. We don't want to go there. That's slightly uncomfortable. And there's no clear answers for that gray area. So let's just stay away from it. And I think particularly when it comes to, and I I don't know, because I'm not a mother, but particularly with women um, and say, we'll add motherhood in there where there's like a lot of pressures uh, to be a woman and get your purity right to get everything fantastic and make money, but don't be too high earner, all the double standards that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure to sort of just embrace the season, like you said, and you're like, yeah, but the season, like, what, what do you mean by season? So like embrace the season or using some quotation or quote from scripture. Yeah. Okay. So women, if you're using scripture or you're trying to encourage a mother now based on scripture from like, like over 2000 years ago, where they lived 
communally. They raised their children together. They had no job. They had no, you know what I mean? Like you lived off the land. There wasn't capitalism. People weren't hyper-individualized where both parents had to work just to afford rent. Like, you know what I mean? This idea that it's like, well, just embrace the season. Screw this season. This season has actually currently in 2022, it is almost impossible for people to look after themselves, be a good partner, be a good mother, afford to live, feed their baby well, do all this. There's all this structural stuff going on that makes it extremely difficult to be the the godly version of whatever that you're supposed to be. And I would add that structurally, a lot of quote unquote seasons are actually permanent. They're, they're structural. They're based on um, a permanent set of circumstances that isn't going to go away and isn't going to pass away. The discriminations that certain people face or the inability to get through and break through the quote unquote glass ceiling or the inability to live when housing is increasingly unaffordable and there's no regulations and no policies in sight or people who live in war torn areas. These aren't seasons. They're not just going to, oh, just like trust in this season will pass. It's like the permanent situation of their life that won't go away unless there is some severe intervention. But you can't talk about that and you can't address those things because it's sort of like none of that's addressed by the church ever. You know, structural issues, racism, inequality. You still have churches debating whether like women have enough brains to teach. And you're like, okay, but you go to your doctor is like a woman and she does brain surgery, (laughs) but you don't think women have the ability or the authority to like read a book. Yeah. There's all this stuff going on that, that basically within a lot of evangelical circles, it's just not discussed. The inequalities, the structure, the very real current pressures, um, like economically what's going on. Um, none of that's discussed. And so you get these little like pat answers where, where it starts to veer into uncomfortable territory. It's like, oh yeah, but you know, just enjoy the moment and embrace the season. And you're like, yeah, you know, that some people die. Like, you know, that mothers have <laughs> postpartum depression and, and yeah. sometimes kill themselves. Like you, you know that that's a thing, right? So this yeah. whole idea of like, embrace the season it could actually be really detrimental (laughs) and I'm not laughing I'm not laughing at the the depression part and the postpartum laughing at these pat responses and answers that don't deal with any of the realities that a lot of women are facing or mothers are facing right yeah and I think that there needs to be more room to their saying like maybe not embrace the season like we we need to have space to say this season actually sucks yeah you know like and that comes back to <laughs> yeah. saying, like, this has been really difficult pandemic inflation war you know all these things yeah so it's like yeah we are here and we need to live in the time that we're in but we also have a responsibility to make it better and to fight against it and to you know, vote or whatever that, whatever we need to do to use our, our mind and our agency to actually make things better and not just like, 
I don't know, succumb to whatever we are faced with, like bloom where you're planted. Well, maybe I don't want to be planted here. Maybe I want to move my ass or maybe I want to go back to school. I don't know. So yeah, church, the church world, I think has a lot of growing up to do even to just get in par with the world. Yeah, I think so. That's a difficult thing to say when you've grown up in the church because you don't want to be of the world. But right now, well, and you're told that you're better in the church. Yeah, and that you're, you what, actually have it right, and you're better yeah, than else. That's the crux of what's so what I basically wrote about is like we want to go to church and have an escape and a sanctuary from the world and the awfulness that's going on in our in our world right now. And the reality is most of us go to church and we expect it to be better. We expect to encounter love. We expect to have some peace. We expect to have some benevolence when things are wrong. And what's actually going on is we're going into these spaces and we're getting the opposite and not only the opposite, but worse than the world would give us. So if I go to my neighbor who is not a believer, she's bringing me gifts. I don't even know her. I've talked to her twice. You know, she's being benevolent towards me. Do you need anything? And if you were to go to church, you might end up having something like, well, you need to embrace your season. You need to struggle. God has gifted you this season. You need to be grateful. The difference is so stark where you're like, why am I seeing God and fruit of the spirit in people who aren't even believers? And when I go to the church, what I see is judgment. And I see people excommunicated. I see them talking about scientific facts that they don't know anything about and pretending they're experts. And really, that is lying, in my opinion. The list goes on and on and on. You're just like, this is the most unhealthy environment that I can think of. And then we have this facade for the world and for the rest of the people involved that you should come because this is good news and God saves. And it's just like, we couldn't get it any more wrong right now. If I want my friends to be quote unquote saved or have a healthy life, I cannot even like, I cannot bring them to church and be an evangelical in the sense that like, I would tell them about God and bring them into fellowship. I couldn't do that with a good conscience. I would be better off to say, if you want a healthy life and you want healthy relationships, do not go into this space people who are listening to this, who are in the church would say, you're putting too much of your faith and your expectations on the church when it should be on the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. There's another deflecting way of not talking about uncomfortable things. I think there's a couple things. And one, I know that you still have this thing that it's like the church has failed and the church needs to get back to sort of quote unquote, the right way of love or whatever. And my stance on that is always, you know, different than yours. And just that I think the church is acting out of the way. And I think the way that God is structured and the way the Bible is read in evangelicalism and the way that is chosen to be read is as valid as any other church, the way Catholics read the Bible in a genuine way. Like, because, yeah, I think there are multiple denominations and churches that read the Bible and structure God yeah. in very different ways, yeah. in very genuine ways. I offer them that 
as I would hope that they would offer that to me, that when they approach the text and when they approach uh, the history of their denomination and they approach the people in their lives that they love and the community, that the conclusion that they come away with in how they're reading the text and how they've constructed God is genuine and not like they're a cult or not like they're jaded or not like everyone is trying their best. When they go to church, they're, they're raising their kids in it. They're trying to attend a service. They're probably having fellowship and the way that they're approaching scripture and structuring God ends up being extremely different from each other. And so I would say in evangelicalism, from what I've read and what I've seen and from the multiple sort of accounts in in being involved in different Facebook groups and whatever, is that evangelicalism structures God and the Bible in a very specific way. Yeah. And that comes from a long history of different key influencers, politics, the church for me isn't separate from, from the world, the the church and the world are the same thing. The church and the world both affect each other and are intertwined deeply socially, economically, politically. So things that happen politically sway how the church views scripture in, in a, in a alignment way or disalignment. Yeah. Yeah. Politically, things that happen economically, economic factors affect how people read the Bible, Mm -hmm. social and cultural factors affect how people read the Bible and people that read the Bible affect social, economical, political factors. They're totally intertwined. And so what you and I both grew up with, that we were totally separate from the world, that somehow we church was pure and church was a pure uh, descent or a pure, like from a pure line of believers all the way back to Christ and that it was untouched by the world. And then when you start to actually read about how the Bible came about, how it was canonized, uh, who yeah. the writers were, the fact that for like the first chunk of time, it was only through stories and narratives, nothing like pre-literary tradition, nothing was written down. Yeah. So it was just a bunch of people without education talking about stories they'd heard about Jesus before it was ever written down. So you have all of this stuff that's gone on to give us the text that we have today in writing, but then all of this extra layers of stuff that's happened of how we actually see it and interpret it and envision it and imagine our faith. And so I think in some ways you long for that time of that, what the church was telling you that it was pure descent and that it's about love and that it's all this was real and that how you see the church today, it's just because it's gone astray. But I think it's actually that it's just followed the natural conclusion of how faith changes, how the reading of the text changes. And that's being done genuinely, and it's being done in good faith, and it's being done by people who genuinely love God and feel they are being loving. Sort of on that point, I think the way evangelicalism has structured living and the fact that there is a hell at the end of life where you are going to burn that is that does not allow you space because you're either in the way or you're not. You're either a goat or you're a sheep. And I think the reality is, is we have to talk about theology. And 
again, theology aside, I know a lot of times evangelical culture is more about the culture. It's more about identity and belonging to this idea of being right, this idea of being in church, this idea of being in the way and a Jesus lover and all this stuff. And so actually a lot of times if you sit down with somebody they probably don't know theological points. They're probably not talking about the Ascension. They're probably not talking about um, the triune God. They're probably not talking about all of these different theological points and they probably couldn't articulate them, but they know they belong to a group and it's an identity. Mm -hmm. But I think this thing of like, once you insert hell and that your soul will be forever separated from God for eternity. You cannot afford to talk about things that might lead you off. And I think that that's why you have that very clear sense, myself included. I don't mean you as in pointedly you. I mean, people have this very clear sense that there are so many topics and emotions and places that can't be accessed without this sort of really chirpy, happy rounding off of, well, it's just a season or just trust God or just do this because it's a fear-based theology. It's based on being eternally separated from God if you don't do the right things. And you can slice that any way you like and say, well, you know, whatever, but you literally believe that God made a place where people would go if they were not correct. So you're talking about people in the, in the quote unquote, the world who are of course a wide diverse range of people who are often religious themselves. They could be Buddhist. They could be whatever they're told. They could have more religion than anyone else, but yeah. the quote unquote secular world that isn't evangelical. Of course, they're able to talk about those things because their soul's not dangling over hell. They yeah. don't have, like saying when you said you're no longer being paid by the church, yeah. you, know, you have this freedom then because you're not beholden to, to them for your livelihood. Well, yeah. people that don't believe in hell are not beholden to having their soul separated from God for eternity. They can talk about whatever they want. They can yeah. have whatever the emotions they want. They can read things that they want to. They can they can respond to new information. So when you have a structure and a system that says the Lord never changes, the text is always the same. Everything has been the same since since Jesus' time. None of this is affected by quote unquote the world. Of course you're still going to be debating about if women's brains are big enough to to preach because you cannot afford to let new information and studies and science and whatever into your belief system because it has to stay the exact same. And so the the world, the quote unquote world, I hate that word, but there's that's the best framework that we have yeah. in what you and I grew up with. But the world is progressing and they're adapting to new information and they're like, Oh, Hey, actually postpartum depression is a thing. Depression is a thing. Racism is a thing. Oh, here's what the science says. Oh, this is this people are responsive to information versus what you have in the church is this really isolated little bubble that is afraid to let in any other ideas or new information because hell is underneath. And I mean, that is just my opinion. Backing up to what you said earlier, where it's almost like we have a disagreement between you and I, where I want the church to get back to a loving way. And you're Mm. saying there's an intertwined complex environment and it's always been like this. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that 
a lot of us who are going through the deconstruction or trying to challenge our faith and investigate our faith, we have um, an appetite for church. The idealistic version of who I am could, in the perfect world, I could find a church that suits me and that I could be in community with and, and be with other Christians who would accept various thoughts and we could have our women's group and we yeah. be allowed to talk from the pulpit mm-hmm. and they wouldn't just be child bearers who submit to their husbands. They would have their own identity, you know, all these things. And yeah. I definitely create this environment in my head that is possible to exist. That is more progressive. That is more in line with the new information that the world is, you know, garnishing and getting with science and advancements and all, all those things. And, but I hear what you're saying. And I think basically you are right, but my heart hopes for better. Yeah. It's like, I can listen to what you say. And I know that what you're saying is correct because I've seen it play out in my life and I'm going to cry thinking about it, but that appetite where you just want that. that, Yeah, I know. I could go back to church and sing the songs and feel that peace Mm. and to have the community where you feel like we've got each other's backs and I know your heart and I know your gifts and I want to support you in those spiritual gifts. And I Mm -hmm. see loving things transpire. Like I wish that I could get that back, but I'm no longer naive or ignorant. And so it's like forever I'm robbed of that almost. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's a a grieving period. Like I think that that was a big one too. It's not just like for me, deconstructing out of that, if you're, if you're going to really ask questions and really be honest with things, you, you have to question everything. But I think when I was deconstructing, there was all of this stuff that came out that I realized how deep seated the fear was, how much I was afraid of what God would do, even though I had this really devoted, deep and loving relationship with him afraid of my eternal salvation and not just of hell. Like when you have a high relationship with God, you're not so much afraid of hell because you're like, okay, God knows me and he loves me and he knows my heart. But it was more that I would one, lose a lot of years where I wouldn't be close to him. And two, that I would miss all the things that he had for me. If I questioned anything being apart from him, what is what the fear was. And which is also obviously a very unhealthy relationship because if I was driven by my fear of losing my husband, if the thought of him leaving me or being apart from me or that I wouldn't hear him is what drove my actions. Yeah. Every single therapist would be like, you are in a really bad relationship. Yeah. But my whole, everything in myself was about pleasing God and making sure I was never more than two seconds away from him. You know what I mean? But the other thing is that the grieving period, you know, like you said, where you just, you go, gee, I really loved being in Bible college and having um, people just write random notes of encouragement. And I miss people singing together and whatever. And, and there are things like you said, where when I was out, I realized, oh, actually, People still do this. It's just not in an organized way. And I think I really liked the organization. I liked knowing that every, you know, Monday was home group. Every Wednesday was Bible study. Every Thursday was practice for Friday, which was youth group. And I love that Saturday was, you know, 
It's just, you're so involved. Yeah. And I would argue to an unnatural extent as well. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not balanced and it's not, it doesn't give you room for even questioning. So with that, I think that's the point is just that mm-hmm. you are so obsessively involved in this one community and nothing else. A lot of people, like you said, your neighbor, it's not that people don't have an idea of what it means to be supportive and loving and encouraging. Sure. It's just that it's not in a structured way. So you're not getting that regular encouragement and that regular top up, I guess, in a sense of love. And, and that is extremely heartbreaking, you know, and that is something that I think probably most of the people in the quote unquote world also long for and miss is not having a structured Mm -hmm. um, way to connect amidst the busyness and the craziness, right. And be seen and be, have their gifts and their, their passions acknowledged. Right. Mm-hmm. When I go back to thinking about Brené Brown, she talks about how outside of love and belonging, there's always suffering. And when you've grown up in the church and you've always had love and belonging mm-hmm. in a very structured way, then outside of that, it's hard to recognize where it's coming from mm-hmm. or what it's supposed to look like. And you crave what you've grown up with. You crave the familiarity. And so I still have that, um, that craving and that appetite to, to find that space or find that group. And maybe that's something that I'll try to create at some point. I don't know how that would look or work and stuff, but um, that's just, I guess it's the crux of what drives a lot of our conversation is, you know, we, we have critical thought. <laughs> we, <laughs> are questioning things and we would love to be able to have a community and a place of other, I don't know, people with similar backgrounds and, and face almost maybe not even a similar face, just similar um, trajectories to, to journey with. And yeah. um, I don't want it to be exactly like church, obviously, because I found that really destructive, but to have a regular space where people can can be seen and be heard and to have love and belonging. Um, because I do feel like since I've been out of the church, even though there have been really good things for me to investigate for myself and to find myself outside of this group and, and to know myself, there's also been a lot of uh, hardship. It's not binary. It's not in white. It's not like, Hey, get out of the church and you'll find joy and peace in yourself. It's like, you know what? This is a really hard decision. You know, you might need to do what you can in the social structure that you're in because leading it is very challenging. And yes, you might have a silver lining like you and I would probably both say that we're very grateful to be in the positions that we are now. Yeah. And the learnings that we've come to. But man, it doesn't come easy. Like if you want to challenge yourself and actually know what you believe and investigate your your personal relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, giddy up and buckle up pal the fascinating thing is like sort of the narrative that you get from different people responding it's almost as if like oh christianity was too hard that's why people couldn't stick it and they sort of left and you're like no no (laughs) christianity wasn't hard actually christianity was super easy you're you're basically handed or born into a permanent community that you are told when exactly you have to meet up you know exactly what's right exactly what's wrong the world is clear. The world is black and white. Everything. It is so 
easy. Like church is so easy. Apart Unless from, you don't like what they're doing. <laughs> okay. What I, I should have clarified, but what I mean is, it's like, apart from the damage done, like yeah. damage done by uh, poor theology, a specific interpretation, yeah. specific theology, that aside, the damage done to you, the actual performance and the doing of Christianity oh, sure. yeah. is so easy. It's like, okay, now take all of that away, take all your structure away, take all your like sure belief systems where you're right and everyone else is wrong and the world is devils and angels, take all of that away. Why don't you go and muddle into a really complicated intertwined reality that has history, science, everything in it that is creating all these different factors individualism, capitalism, you got to fight for your way. You don't have people just popping over, giving you casseroles or helping you move. You know, you, you try, you try that transition and you try and unpick it all and unlearn it all and rebuild yourself up in a more healthy way. And then tell me that Christianity is so hard and (laughs) and that's why people have left. Like, it's just like, uh, no, to actually have to confront yourself and to confront like things that I wasn't allowed to feel like I didn't allow myself to feel emotions. I wasn't allowed to feel um, desires that I wasn't allowed to feel. And I'm not even, let's not even talk about sexuality, just desires of like what I wanted to do with my life and what I thought my talents were. It was like, everything's just boxed. Everything's just in a nice little box. You don't touch it. You don't deal with it. You just keep trucking along with Jesus in hand and just like keep smiling. And, you know, it's like to then be in a space where you actually have to go back and unpack those boxes and go, Ooh, actually what's, I remember putting this box away. (laughs) What's in this box. And then having to actually get tools. Cause I always joke and I'm sure I've joked about it with you before, but I always joke about God being, like, let's call God Betty instead of God. So Tony, you have like an anger management problem, right? Yeah. And then Tony's like, yeah, yeah, but I gave it to Betty. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah. yeah, But what are you doing about it, Tony? Like what, what are you taking? Oh, but I gave it to Betty. It's fine. Betty's going to deal with it. (laughs) No, you actually have to go to counseling and you have to get tools and you have to practice it and work at it. You just think Betty is looking after everything, but actually it's your responsibility. (laughs) Part of the problem too, is that, you know, like, why does the church not change very fast or why? Because individuals aren't one getting that new information in because it's too, it's too shaking to the foundation, but they're also not individually gaining tools from anyone else outside of people who already believe exactly like they do. Um, and I obviously really amazing, lovely people as well who have other amazing qualities. I'm not saying that cause we're all a mixed bag. Like this is not like, Oh, now I'm better. I'm out. I mean, everyone as a human is extremely complicated and a mixed bag, but I mean, there's areas of stunting and where things are just not dealt with, where childhood traumas aren't dealt with. It's like, oh, well, Betty took care of my childhood trauma. Oh, did Betty now? <laughs> like, It doesn't seem that Betty has done her job of your childhood yeah. trauma. <laughs> but I think that maybe here we could say we've been talking about having safe spaces to be yourself, really, to, to know yourself, to question the things that you believe, to actually know what you believe and don't believe but then also hear what 
I think is important is for Christians who are still in the church space to look at those of us who are kind of on the outside, orphaned by the church or deconstructing whatever you whatever label you want to put on that, and to actually have compassion on us and for people like us because this isn't easy, and it's not like we decided with a rebellious spirit to go against God. We are literally trying our best to sort out our faith with fear and trembling. We would love to converse with other people like us who are on the journey. Yeah. Thoughts there? Let's just all have a bit of humility that as we're traveling through planet Earth in our tiny little brief slice of a moment, let's just think that maybe we don't all have all the answers that we think we do, myself included. Um, and then let's just approach each other with a bit of humility that, yeah, that maybe we have a lot to learn from each other. And, yeah, like you know, yeah, humility would be an amazing attribute for safe, uh, safe space, right? Yeah. As a start, as a base. On that note. On that note. If anybody else is listening, I would really hope that they reach out to us. because Yeah, that could be a cool thing to start too. It's like, yeah. To connect with everyone. Um, they really for them so. to contact, yeah. Yeah. And thank you to all our listeners again. Hope you enjoy this lovely day. Yeah.